Ukraine's alignment with NATO standards gets closer, as transforming the NATO's assistance package into a multi-year program will help Ukraine's transition to full interoperability with the Alliance. You are listening to the podcast Explaining Ukraine. Explaining Ukraine is a podcast by Ukraine World, an English-language website about Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolonko. I'm a Ukrainian philosopher, journalist and chief editor of Ukraine World. I'm joined by my colleagues Anastasia Hersemchuk and Daria Sinhaevska, journalists and analysts at Ukraine World, to discuss key events in and around Ukraine for the last week. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the largest Ukrainian media NGOs. Let me remind you that you can support our work at patreon.com slash ukraineworld. We provide exclusive content for our patrons. You can also support our volunteer trips to the front lines at paypal, ukraine.resistinggmail.com. You can find these links in the description of this episode. It means Dasha and I prepared the analysis of key events in and around Ukraine. This week was full of various important news. Dasha, could you list the topics we are going to tell our listeners about today? Certainly. So we are going to cover the uh, poisoning of Budanov's wife, uh, Russia restricting migrants' rights f- to force them to participate in the war against Ukraine. We also will take a look at European Parliament leadership supporting Ukraine's accession to the EU, Ukraine-NATO uh, meetings, frontline developments, and other important uh, news that uh, the past week uh, proposed to us. So the first topic is uh, the most urgent one, and it's about uh, developments on the front line. Yes, um, let's begin with the news from the front lines. And um, it is important to know that two main fronts remain on fire, and I mean the eastern and the southern directions here. Uh, So let's start with the southern direction, and here there are several uh, important uh, sectors. Uh, The main news from the Kherson direction is that the Ukrainian defenders maintain their strategically important positions uh, on the left bank of the Dnipro River. And and according to the uh, Institute for Study of War and according to Ukrainian officials, uh, Russians have problems with ground lines of communication uh, exactly in that sector uh, that allows uh, Ukrainian armed forces uh, conduct successfully actions. Uh, there is also good news from the Melitopol direction, where the armed forces of Ukraine keep gradually move forward. Moving to the eastern to the eastern part, uh, here Russians are um, are Russians keep attacking in the Kupiansk, Kliman, Bakhmut, Marinka, Shakhtarsk, and Avdiivka directions. But Ukrainian troops are repelling these attacks, uh, so the enemy has no success and cannot reach uh, its um, tactical aims. However, it's important to note that Ukrainians pay a high price for not letting the invaders move forward. And the fights are indeed really heavy in all the sectors. Avdiivka remains one of the main hotspots, and the Russians don't give up on their attempts to encircle the city. According to British intelligence, Russian troops have managed to advance 
about two kilometers uh, to forward in this direction uh, since the beginning of October. So we can say that uh, it has been the biggest Russian success on the front line since spring. Uh, but as of now, the most important is that the Ukrainian armed forces still control the supply routes to Avdiivka. In previous episodes, we told you about the uh, aim of Russians to take the Avdiivka coke plant. Uh, and um, they still keep trying to get uh, and to take the plant, however unsuccessfully. But uh, what is... Uh, worth mentioning here that in total, Russians are attacking on six directions in the Avdivka sector. Uh, so uh, within this third wave of assault in this direction, uh, Russians um, increased the amount of directions of their assaults. And um, again, uh, Ukrainian armed forces managed to withstand these attacks, to repel these attacks. Uh, but we shouldn't forget that uh, Ukrainians pay high price for, for, for that. And these defensive uh, successes um, are important, but still uh, the amount of uh, Russian soldiers never ceases, and that's, uh, that's a big problem. And so one of the key problems uh, in developments of the front lines in general is the availability of sources for the Russians. They have, uh, first of all, it is connected to the um, number of manpower. So Russians have significant manpower. And we all know that they actually don't care about the losses of their soldiers. They use them as meat for assaults. Uh, that is why they are able to keep launching assaults despite these heavy losses. For example, according to the head of the Kharkiv Military Regional Administration, uh, Oleksiy Nehubov, in the Kupiansk sector, Russians are actively rotating their units not to stop assaults amid considerable losses. And recently, the Russian president Putin increased the size of the Russian army up to 2.2 million persons. And uh, a million, uh, 0.3 of uh, these people are military personnel. And the manpower is uh, not the only problem. Russia's manpower is not the only problem for Ukraine. Russia also manages to increase its military production and develop its military technologies. Of course, here uh, we, should, uh, we should emphasize that Russia manages to do so uh, because of the assistance from its allies. And here, first of all, we talk about Iran and North Korea. Uh, however, it also manages to uh, find workarounds in sanctions regime and this way get the technologically uh, advanced um, parts, uh, tools to develop its military technology. So here it is very important to understand that uh, Ukraine needs to receive, urgently receive um, certain weaponry and receive it in sufficient amounts. And here I mean the fighter jets, ammunitions, uh, long-range missiles. Because if Ukraine is not receiving what it needs, it gives uh, more room for Russia to develop its technology and gives 
uh, more um, ability to adapt to the current conditions and, uh, of course, um, gain more success on the front lines. And it bears even more risks. Mm. General Serhinaev, the commander of the Joint Forces of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, in his interview to the ABC News, warned about the threat of the Russians opening a new front, and he meant the northern part of Ukraine. Uh, he emphasized, again, he emphasized the importance of technology here. Sure, Russia uh, is outplaying Ukraine in regard uh, of the number of weapons and the uh, number of people, the number of troops. So in this case for Ukraine, it is very important to have uh, technological advancement, technological um, uh, success. And in this case, uh, Ukraine can win even with lesser amount of weaponry and lesser amount of people. And another problem Ukraine has been facing recently is the more frequent use uh, of guided aerial bombs by, by Russians. Uh, Russians dropped them by using uh, fighter jets. And uh, the spokesperson of the Air Force of Ukraine, Yuri Ignat, uh, pay, puts a special emphasis on this problem. And the danger of these uh, guided aerial bombs is that they are not a precise weapon and they carry up to 500 kilos of explosive. And the only way to counter this threat is using the long-range air defense systems and the fighter jets. So that is these things, uh, these kinds of weapons, is what Ukraine badly needs and needs urgently. And there is another disturbing news I can't help mentioning. Uh, the Russians have committed another horrendous war crime. Just uh, several days ago, a video was spread in the media of how Russian soldiers executed two unarmed Ukrainian soldiers uh, who were surrendering. Uh, they ex executed Ukrainian soldiers by shooting directly at them. And uh, those Ukrainian soldiers had to surrender because of this unexpected Russian attack and they didn't have ammunition to repel this attack. Mm, so they were just brutally killed, even though they weren't armed. And the killing of prisoners of war is a gross violation of the Geneva Conventions, and it is classified as a grave international crime. And speaking of international community, I guess you and brought an important topic of that responsiveness, that uh, distincts uh, the Western partners, the civilized partners who uh, can respond to such brutality and this means um, must be um, also, you know, reasonable. And uh, when we talk about responsiveness, surely we mean not only supporting uh, weaponry, which uh, is without saying goes without saying that it's vital, important, but also by giving a helping hand on, uh, you know, um, international arena. And we know that meetings of NATO foreign ministers in Brussels, as well as a meeting of the NATO Ukraine. Council reaffirmed the alliance's strong commitment to further support for Ukraine. And uh, we know that NATO and Ukraine are transforming the comprehensive assistance package into a multi-year program. And this is a sign of, you know, a long run that we all understand that um, this war is, um, well, it, it is brutal and it, and it's, uh, the Russia wages it uh, against the all humanity. And uh, taking this into account, uh, our partners help 
in rebuilding Ukraine's security and defense sector, and as a part of this effort, a roadmap for Ukraine's transition to full interoperability with NATO is developed. Also, Alliance, together with Ukraine, are developing new projects on humanitarian demining, medical rehabilitations of wounded Ukrainian soldiers, and Ukraine's defense industry, potential based on a strategic review of a defense procurement. And um, as far as I remember, statement goes like a strong, independent Ukraine is vital for the stability of the Euro-Atlantic region. The foreign ministers summed up the implementation of the expanded package of uh, either political or uh, practical support for Ukraine agreed at uh, the Vilnius summit, and the ministers approved an ambitious work program for uh, 2024. They noted that in the context, NATO and Ukraine are already working in making decisions together as equals on a wide range of issues, including uh, energy security, interoperability, um, innovation, cyber defense, and resilience. So we witness constant deepening of relations between Ukraine and partners. And uh, this is witnessed by the Conference of Presidents of the European Parliament that uh, had publicly called for the European Council to confirm the start of negotiations on Ukraine's accession to the European Union. So Roberta Mazzola said that the decision to support negotiations with Ukraine was announced by this body that brings together the leadership of the European Parliament and all political groups, and it's very important for its um, legitimacy. And I guess this um, you know, speak, this speaks candidately for what the economist wrote. So the, the British journal highlighted that Europe must plan for Putin as the main long-term threat to its security because Russia will rearm, it will have combat experience and uh, planning for Europe's defense should be designed to prevent Putin from sensing weakness on this flank, especially if he, um, well, would would like to uh, make a maneuver and then just to escalate and uh, Ukraine with its experience its values would strengthen the west in meantime russia seeks ways to influence ukrainian internal space and we know that budanov's wife was poisoned right Yes, Dasha. And the last week uh, in Kiev resembled uh, a little bit uh, a spinach drama. Uh, indeed, the wife of the head of the uh, defense intelligence of uh, the defense ministry of Ukraine, Kirill Budanov, uh, Mariana Budanov, was poisoned uh, with heavy metals, and the representatives of the body confirmed that. She was hospitalized and she has undergone uh, necessary treatment and luckily now there is no threat to her life, uh, but it was a serious poisoning. And uh, what is also important here that sev several more uh, officers of the defense intelligence of Ukraine were poisoned too, uh, but not that heavily as Mariana Budanova. Uh, so it means that uh, Russians are actively acting inside Ukraine and uh, it is absolutely clear that high officials of the defense intelligence uh, are one of the main targets of Russians, especially taking into account the scope and the importance of special operations uh, these bodies conducting. 
so um, again, it's absolutely understandable that there are not so many details about the uh, about how the poisoning happened, uh, who was responsible for that. And the defense intelligence of Ukraine uh, launched its own uh, investigation on this incident. Uh, still, there are several uh, several um, versions of uh, what happened, and according to uh, one of them, uh, Mariana Budanova with other uh, officers was. Uh, poisoned uh, through food or water, uh, which uh, they consumed in the building of the defense intelligence, most probably. Uh, but it's just uh, a, a version. We, don't, we still don't have official uh, results of the investigation. Uh, so it also uh, confirms that uh, despite the activities of uh, Ukrainian special forces, uh, on the combating the presence of and activity of Russian uh, special service uh, representatives, there is still this network acting inside Ukraine. And uh, maybe uh, our listeners uh, would have a question, like how was it possible to uh, poison the officers of uh, the service, intelligence service, together with the uh, wife of the head of the intelligence service? So uh, since the beginning of this full-scale invasion, the uh, top officials... Uh, of the of the defense intelligence and Budanov's uh, wives, they live in the office for security issues. That is why it's uh, it's become possible to uh, to uh, conduct this, uh, let's say, special operation on poisoning her. And uh, it is still not clear yet was uh, if uh, Mariana Budanova was the main target of this poisoning, or it was an uh, accident and Budanov himself should have been poisoned. So it's still not clear yet, and both uh, variants are possible. And let me remind you that uh, again, the defense intelligence of Ukraine confirmed that uh, Kirill Budanov had has survived about ten. Uh, 10 uh, attempts to assassinate him. So um, uh, what is also important that um, Russians not only covertly trying to kill Ukrainian military officials and their family members, their inhumane practices apply also to migrants who choose Russia as the state uh, of living. And Dasha, I know that you have more details on these developments. For sure. Uh, basically, um, nothing came to surprise. The Russian government is attempting to restrict the rights of migrants, possibly in order to persuade them to serve in the military and, uh, let's say, call, let's call it please ultranationalist movements. And this is according to the latest report um, by the U.S. Institute for the Study of War. So uh, the bill provides in particular for the deprivation of illegal migrants of the right to obtain like um, driver's licenses, drive a car, open bank accounts, get married, uh, transfer money, etc., the restrictions proposed for migration status are likely to further isolate a large number of migrants from economic and social life in Russia and make military service one of the few ways to stay in the country. Uh, the Russian authorities continue large-scale attempts to force both migrants and um, naturalized Russian citizens to sign military contracts, threatening them with deportation and loss of citizenship. 
Uh, simultaneously, Moscow is also trying to uh, motivate migrants to participate in the war against Ukraine in exchange for this uh, citizenship. So uh, ICV also points out that the bill is likely intended to satisfy Russian ultranationalists who have called for stricter restrictions on migrants. And uh, we also know that back in August in the Kaluga region, migrants um, are, were not granted uh, citizenship until they sign a contract to participate in the war against Ukraine. And the same summer, they were, there were reports of uh, security forces raiding foreigners and men with acquired citizenship who had not registered for military service. So, as I have already said, nothing came to surprise for us. But uh, nevertheless, uh, this um, disturbing news might, uh, m- might surprise uh, some of our listeners. But a more important topic is the one that uh, covers the matter of uh, POEs. So uh, I know that uh, you have something to tell us, right? Right. Unfortunately, um, the Ukrainian officials confirmed that Russians, the Russian side suspending the uh, prisoners of war swaps. And... um, the first thing that comes to mind uh, after finding out about this news is that Russians are trying to uh, psychologically affect Ukrainians and uh, to break the spirit of Ukrainians by not letting Ukraine take back their people. Uh, but there is another side of this story and there is another aim uh, Russians are uh, pursuing here. And it is on the more practical level. So by... Uh, suspending the exchange activity, Russians are also trying uh, to negatively influence public opinion in Ukraine, creating the image that Ukrainian authorities don't care about their prisoners of war and do not active effectively and sufficiently to get them back home. And um, this thought was also confirmed by the representative of the coordination headquarters for the treatment of prisoners of war, uh, Petroyatsenko. He especially emphasized this uh, component of uh, Russian activities, exactly trying to uh, to sow this mistrust, distrust to Ukrainian authorities. And um, it is not surprising that Russians are trying to use all the means to destroy Ukraine. They are trying to do it on the front lines. They are trying to do it by uh, launching attacks on Ukrainian cities. And they are also trying to do their best to destabilize Ukraine from inside. So they are um, influencing public opinion uh, in a negative way towards the government. They are also trying to find any contradictions uh, inside the society to play on it. Uh that is why it is extremely important to say that Ukraine has always been active regarding getting its people back. And um, before the end of war, up to this moment, uh, 2,598 uh, prisoners of uh, Ukrainian prisoners of war were taken back to Ukraine from Russian captivity. And that is a considerable uh, number of people, and especially regarding how difficult it is to arrange this process with Russians. And still, even though uh, the Russian side blocked the process, uh, Ukraine doesn't give up on the attempts to resume it. 
so uh, for example, the Ukrainian side created a coordination headquarters together with the International Committee of the Red Cross and the Ukrainian authorities also create, have created so-called mixed medical commissions. Uh, and this tool is uh, envisaged in the third uh, Geneva Convention. So this commission includes two representatives of a neutral country and one representative of a country which detains the prisoners of war, uh, uh, which is, uh, in our case, Ukraine. And a similar commission should be formed by the Russian side so that these both commissions have... Um, the opportunity to visit places of detention. They can identify prisoners of war who need medical care and also those who should be uh, taken back to their countries. Uh, but uh, again, it's not surprising that Russians uh, do not even try to establish such commissions and to relaunch the process uh, for already clear reasons. And... Um, it is indeed a very, um, very pressing and very important problem. Currently, as of the end of November, uh, and this data was given by the Ministry of Reintegration and Temporarily Occupied Territories, so currently 4,337 uh, Ukrainian prisoners of war are in uh, the Russian captivity. 3,574 of them are military and 763 uh, persons are civilians. And it is a horrible number of people to think about uh, because we know the conditions uh, Ukrainians are held in, Russian, in, in Russia. So uh, they do not have access to medical care. They are uh, regularly tortured. And I don't even mention the proper conditions uh, of their detainments, uh, while Ukrainian side uh, follows all the international rules and uh, uh, fulfills all all the all the terms of uh, international conventions on how to uh, keep the prisoners of war. Uh, of course, Russia, uh, knowing that, is absolutely unwilling to uh, let Ukraine get its people back. And it is very cunningly playing this card. Uh, and no matter how hard Ukraine is trying to relaunch the process now, it doesn't have any effect. That is why it is also very important for the international community to pay attention to this problem, and not only in terms of urging Russia to resume the exchanges. Uh, there must be uh, really tangible actions uh, so that Russia doesn't have way out uh, rather than resume the process. So um, let's not forget about uh, these Ukrainians who are kept in terrible conditions and uh, about their families who are also suffering knowing about the fate of their close ones. And um, we all hope that very soon all the Ukrainians kept in Russian captivity will get back home and see their loved ones. These were all the news we prepared for you today. Thank you for listening to us.